Welcome to the Making Jobs Podcast, where we talk about car repair, business ownership, and everything in between. I'm your host, Matt Hernandez, founder and owner of Matt's Mobile Mechanics. And I'm your co-host, Tyler Schultz, with Witness Security. So without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Welcome back, job makers. Buenos dias. Yeah, we're eating breakfast and casting pods at the same time because Tyler has decided nowadays that he's just going to make breakfast every single time that I come over. And I'm not going to turn down a meal. So, <clears throat> with rare exceptions, what so, if you uh, turn down a meal? I, uh, I'm, I'm doing this um, protein diet. And then on top of that, I had <clears throat> very little before I... Uh, Went and worked out last night. So I woke up this morning and my stomach's saying, it is time to eat. You want my egg whites? Sure. So uh, when it came to uh, urgency to eat, I was getting after it. (laughs) I don't know what my deal is. In recent years, I'm not like a huge fan of eating eggs a lot. I don't know what the deal is. Well, you don't like runny eggs? Mm-mm. That's the best kind. I actually like it exploding in my mouth. Oh, yeah? I would imagine. Yeah, no, but for some reason, it's mostly the egg whites that get me. I don't know why. Hmm. I think it's a texture thing. To develop recently, because I used to eat eggs all the time. I have is no it, problem Is that a it. symptom from COVID? Or no. <laughs> no, I think it, I mean, it kind of started before that. I just kind of started not really liking to eat eggs in large quantities. Used to be, if I had a breakfast, I'd have minimum four eggs, you know, um, with my breakfast. I don't know what happened. I'm just not as big of a fan of them. It's uh, I like the yolk, though. It's the egg whites that, if I eat too much of it, it kind of bothers me. Mm. And I, I don't, I don't know what the deal is. So I just eat less of them. Cool. Yeah, yeah, fun More for me. Fun, yeah, yeah. When it works out, because you know, <clears throat> my kids eat eggs like they're going out of style. Like if I have to make breakfast for my family, um, we're using over a dozen eggs for so, breakfast. So I finally saw the video. Uh, I know that we've talked about it many a time about the bride that uh, is in uh, politics. That she goes. An AR-15, well, it's it's like uh, 10 moving boxes. Well, you only just now finally saw that. What's, what's her name again? Um, I've already forgotten because it's been so long since it's I been. I probably the, find it pretty quick because I... I know her face. I'd recognize her. I'd pick her out of a lineup any day. <clears throat> um, what was her name? Sheila Jackson Lee. Sheila Jackson, that's right, yeah. Jackson Lee, right. She, uh... She got two last names. Yeah. <clears throat> She's like, this is... This is, uh... I've, I've held an AR, and it's about the same. It weighs as much as ten boxes that you move with. It is. It's funny. Um, you know, she recently... She also said, we just don't need... And she looks off like, uh... Do I get everybody's attention? A fifty caliber round. <laughs> yeah. You can't physically put a fifty caliber round into an AR-15. No. Nope. That is not a possibility. Now, have you ever um, have you ever been watching? So I've been seeing it. You know, in recent years, more often. It's been playing out in Hollywood that they're pushing some type of an agenda involving firearms. And it's always weird whenever I'm watching a show or watch a movie or something and uh, <clears throat> and they villainize a particular behavior or something along those lines of a gun owner. And I'll, and I'll go, and they'll make it act like they're just a crazy gun nut or something. And I'll be like, well, that seems like really reasonable actions that this guy is taking. <laughs> like they're like ah this guy's got to have a gun with him everywhere he goes and i'm like well yeah i mean i wear a seatbelt everywhere i drive 
Um, I'm not planning on getting into a car accident, but I'd like to not get ejected through my windshield if I do. Did you see the uh, the debate that Kolyan Noir did? Uh, I think I might have sent it to you uh, with John Rosenthal uh, or versus John Rosenthal. Maybe. Possibly. <coughs> and he's a, uh, there was a point in time where I was a top fan on Facebook. of I had the top fan badge for Kolyan Noir. <coughs> I'm not really, I don't really do Facebook that much anymore, so. He, uh, which is why I find it weird that my mother-in-law, or my mother-in-law, my brother's mother-in-law tried contacting me through Facebook, an app that I never use. Um, <clears throat> anyhow. So, he he goes on. Maybe she tried calling me. And Anyways, yeah. debating John Rosenthal. And Rosenthal is a huge uh, gun control advocate yeah. there in Massachusetts. And oh, I think I have seen this. So I went on a serious Colian Noir video deep dive um, Tuesday night because I get done working out and I was a little, uh, little high and trying to not wake anybody up. Got that good runner's high going, up. huh? Oh, yeah. Um, so I am um, sitting there watching this video and then I realized that I went into a serious, uh, black hole of Colian Noir's videos. Hey, you can get and, really sucked in and, uh, get tunnel vision, <laughs> but, uh, three hours later, you're like, Whoa, what the heck? <laughs> where, where have I been? It was, uh, it was interesting because. So, John Rosenthal's got this mentality that cops, when they're out in the streets, mm -hmm. they've only got 10 to 15 rounds, depending on what pistol they've got as their their uh, uh, piece. Which is inaccurate. And then... <clears throat> most apartments... Well, I mean, per, per mag. Most apartments <laughs> typically have, um, you know, a Glock... Uh, Dang it, what's their full-size Glock called? Is it uh, 19? 17. Glock 17. Most of them carry a Glock 17, which incidentally holds 17 rounds with a standard magazine. I did not know that. The vast majority of law enforcement, to include Secret Service, they carry Glock 17s. So, and that probably pans out well whenever uh, you're getting into a firefight and somebody's, well, expired. Um, mm. Now you have that many more rounds. Yeah. How well, many that they had. And most cops carry a minimum of two spare magazines. So that means that they're carrying, um, uh, what's that, 50-something rounds? Yeah, about 50 something rounds. Like yeah. Well, and what his his argument was, yeah, they only have uh, 10 to 15 rounds per magazine. And so the, the way most cops die is whenever they uh, are reloading. And uh, then yeah. uh, Kulian Noir goes on to say, well, most cops, if they know they're going into a shooting situation, they might just reach in and grab their their uh, service rifle. Right. And he's like... If the department issues one. Not true. every department has carries a service rifle on all but squad But if, if it's not a issued, then some officers would bring their dependent upon personal. department policy there true they they may be allowed to but yeah at, at any rate you know th that's the thing is though if you were to you know if you are to say oh cops this is what a cop needs to carry and not and, and that's true there is differences to what a cop needs to carry now do i think that i need to carry two spare magazines no but also I don't carry handcuffs everywhere I go because the probability of me needing to handcuff someone's pretty freaking low. Now, if you're a cop, mm, you know, it's a little bit higher than mine. Well, and then also, you and I don't carry a pepper spray. You and yep. I don't carry... Which, I, which I, you know, I, I kind of... I, I'm not against the idea of someone carrying pepper spray. It's a, it's a good um, uh, it's a good weapon to use between a harsh word and a gun, you know? Sure, sure. Um, uh, we don't carry a taser, right? But I don't carry a taser, and I never, I would never advocate for a um, uh, for a, a private citizen to be carrying a taser for for multitude of reasons. One, they are inconsistent with their um, effectiveness, <clears throat> and two, well, hence that video uh, where I think it was down in Daytona, Florida. Mm -hmm. Guys in a hotel room, and he's 
threatening to commit suicide. So oh yeah, the, the naked man. Yeah, yeah, with a knife. And so <clears throat> then he's throwing knives at the yeah. uh, police. My my whole thought is, let him throw the knives. Dodge the knives. He'll be out of ammo. He'll be out of ammo in a minute. <laughs> and I, I then think, you just have a naked man to deal with. Yeah, I think that's what it was. The cops just didn't want to have to tackle a naked man. They were deciding <laughs> who's drawing that short straw. You know, it's like, all right, which one of you has been here? The, which where's the rookie at? Where's the rookie at? He's getting at least he didn't man. try and commit naked suicide. Like yeah. supposedly you did. Right. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> um, no, the uh, well, so, actually, he was trying to commit naked suicide. So the ammo capacity thing is um, is hilarious because the thing is is it's like they they no one no one wants to think about the fact that it's like you know just because you have it doesn't mean you need to use it. It's just nice to have it. There was an instance, um, uh, you could uh, look it up, there's a state trooper, I believe it was, who now, every time he goes out on patrol, carries on his person, on his person, 130 rounds of ammunition. All all the same caliber? All 9mm. Because of an incident where he pulls over a guy that starts shooting at him and he gets in a firefight. Previously, he used to carry a uh, forty-five. It's a it was a Glock. I forget Glock's model numbers because they they don't correlate with caliber. Um, in fact, fun fact for everyone: the reason why Glock's model numbers are stupid and they don't make sense, like a Glock forty is not a forty caliber Glock. Um, the reason for that is the numbers correlate to the patent number that the design was filed under. So Glock 17, there's a number somewhere in the patent number. It doesn't have 17. anything to do with the amount of rounds it can carry. No, no, no. It's just a happy coincidence that the Glock 17 happens to have 17-round standard magazine. Um, <clears throat> and, like, Glock 22 is not a 22 caliber uh, weapon, I think. Anyways, so I forget the model number because the Austrians over there at, at the Glock factory um, did not use common sense when naming their Glocks. Um, but like, you know, a Ruger security nine, I wonder what caliber that gun is, you know, yeah, no kidding. or a Canic T P nine. wonder what caliber that gun is. Anyhow. So he's got carries a 45 at the time and on his, on his, you know, first magazine, the magazine in which he carries, um, I think it has a 14 round magazine. And he has a couple of spare magazines. So total, he's carrying like 40 rounds or something like that. We gets in this firefight with this guy. The guy gets shot a total of eight times, the perp that he is in this firefight with from a traffic stop. He didn't know going into it. He was getting ready to battle for his life. And it's this crazy scenario. And he's ducking and covering and hiding under his car and shooting back at this guy. And the guy in the, in the uh, autopsy reveals that he had been shot eight times, all of which should have been fatal. Every, almost, uh, I think of the, of the eight shots that were fired, or that would hit the guy, like seven of them were fatal, but none of them turned the off button on, or hit the off switch quick enough. And he was still shooting at him until the final shot when the guy peeks underneath the, guy, the uh, trooper's cruiser, and he places one in the brain basket. And that was the one that ended it. <clears throat> now, when he ended it, he had two rounds left on his last magazine. That'd be a scary situation. I mean, so he now, wouldn't have known that he only had two rounds. Well, unless he, he was checking. I mean, he knew he was running low because he's on his last magazine, and uh, and I'm sure that he was he was pretty aware that he was pretty darn close to empty. And uh, so, since that incident, he switched to start carrying a nine millimeter. And then in his service pistol, he carries a standard capacity magazine at 17 rounds plus one, 18 rounds, has two spare 17 round magazines, has a couple of 30 round magazines as spares and, you know, so on and so forth. So his vest is, you know, filled up with spare magazines and he patrols with 130 rounds. Now, that seems like a crazy amount of overkill, but remind you, previously to this incident, he was carrying about 40 rounds. Which would have not been overkill, but it would have been enough for a fight. It should be. And you look at statistics. This is the thing. People always will bring up to me. In fact, I had a guy the other day because um, I, you know, he was he was telling me how he's, you know, he, he likes to carry 380 autos. And I said, well, I don't. And I don't for a multitude of reasons. One, their guns are too small on my hands. Two, um, uh, I can shoot a 9mm more accurately. 
Uh, three, ammo capacity is a big deal for me. I don't like single stack magazines. I prefer having a you know full frame gun that I can carry for ammo capacity. And they're like, oh, well, what would you need? And I said, no, 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 no. I understand the statistics. Statistically speaking, most gunfights, they happen in a, di- in a, in a space of about you know, inside 10 yards. And statistically speaking, they end in three rounds fired. So theoretically, a Ruger LCR with a five-shot capacity, a little snub nose revolver, would be, you know, all Money. you would ever need to end a, end a fight, right? But what if you get the, the problem is, The problem is, is that, you know, the real world doesn't always play out exactly like it does on paper. And this trooper discovered that, you know, you would think carrying 40-something rounds was more than enough. And it's not like the... Now, granted, he missed some, but there was some exchange of gunfire before and after. But before he finally ended the guy... What color is the granite? The granite? What? What are you He said... No, 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 granted. granted. Oh. <laughs> I said granted, not granite. <laughs> And it was brown with uh, the, the dark purple kind of accents in it. That's my oh, favorite really? kind of granite. <laughs> I like that one, you know, with the little flecks of the burgundy almost in it, you know. Does it have swirls? No, nah, I prefer not the swirl. I like the speckles. I don't oh, like God. as much of the swirls. Well, back to our conversation. Anyway, so, I really derailed that one. So 40, you know, he's carrying roughly 40 rounds. That should have been... Um, enough under most circumstances. And yes, there was some exchange of gunfire. There was some missing here and there. But, and it's not like the guy was inaccurate. He did hit him. In fact, the guy, after he had been hit eight times or seven times or so before the off switch was hit, he was still walking up to the cruiser. He was still moving and aiming a firearm and shooting at him. And those shots Obvious. that were placed in him would have eventually been fatal, but not soon enough to save this officer's life. He got lucky. Did the officer get hit at all? No, he didn't. So in that case, yeah, he wasn't that accurate of a shot. He the just happened to be superhuman when it comes to getting shot. Well, and that's what happened. You know, people do weird things when amped up on adrenaline and drugs is another thing, too. And yeah, a shot to the liver will kill you. You'll bleed out fast. But it, the thing is, is sometimes when adrenaline's pumping or drugs are involved in it, your body doesn't even recognize like the pain or, or anything. So that's not, you know, you're not being stopped by the pain. So what has to happen is a physiological response. What has to happen is the blood has to run out to your brain before, you know, you can, you know, before they stop moving. So a liver shot will kill you. You know, a shot to the leg can kill you. You get femoral artery in there. You've got a lot of arteries running up and down your legs that you could bleed out pretty quickly within a couple of minutes. But sometimes a couple minutes is enough to get off a bunch of shots and kill an officer. Um, so this is why there's a lot of department policies. And sometimes people will watch these videos of someone, you know, someone, a perp has been shot and the officers aren't approaching. And they're like, why aren't they rendering first aid? They're just sitting there, you know, yelling at him to stop, you know, to get, get rid of the gun or let go of the gun type of a deal. It's because there have been incidences where they think the guy's down, approach him, and the guy raises a gun up and starts firing at cops. <clears throat> He's either, he could either be playing possum or he could have just a little bit of juice left in the tank. <clears throat> so... So, um, so a video, <coughs> I want to say it was Monday or Tuesday night, uh-huh, but it might have been earlier, or maybe it was last week, I don't remember. Regardless, it was a uh, one of the Protect Your Asp mm-hmm. uh, videos. Active self-protection. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he, he goes on about how uh, these two officers show up on scene because... Um, that they get a call, a de- domestic dispute call. Uh, the son calls it in and says uh, that my dad keeps beating up on my mom, and every time I try and jump and in, I literally just watched this yesterday. I know what you're talking about. Then this punk kid, when they arrive, he comes out the door with what looks like an AR-15, mm-hmm. and they the two officers immediately retreat, and they're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa!" Stop! Yeah, and they given him multiple commands, and he comes around the corner, and they open fire. He goes on down on the ground. Now, my, while he's on the ground, after he's been hit a couple of times, he still has gripped onto that rifle. And they're they're commanding him, 
Put down the rifle. Put the push the rifle so away. So at this point, and this is LAPD, by the way. <clears throat> at this point, All, both of them were, um, if I remember right, both of the officers were of the same like Hispanic descent. Yeah, yeah, something like that. They were minorities of you know of some kind. So, but they didn't have a. An it agenda. wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a racial. What they did is they opened the door and saw a kid with a rifle coming out. Actually, he's a grown man. He's nineteen. Uh, was nineteen. Uh, spoiler alert: He didn't make it through this. What had happened was the kid was suicidal, um, wanted, wanted suicide, suicide by cop. By cop. Uh, the parents didn't know that he had called this in. Now, and he purposefully, there's a reason why he chose domestic violence. This is one of the most dangerous calls that a police officer can go to. So he knew that the police officers would be responding with a little bit of edge, edge on them. You know, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of anticipation, maybe a little itchy on the trigger finger. And he comes out, turns out that rifle was an air rifle, it was a pellet gun that uh, looked an awful lot. Now, now I know from personal experience that most air rifles and pellet guns typically have like some indicator that it is a fake gun, usually an orange tip of some kind. Some of them don't. Uh, and in any case, if this one did or didn't, he had painted over it if it was. Because right. it was all black. I mean, it was... Not it, only that, but um, in that split... Uh, decision time frame that those officers Yeah, you had, knock on the door and someone points a gun at you. They you didn't know. even get to the door. No, they hadn't even made it to the door. They were getting ready to step up, or the first one was getting and, ready to step up on And the they steps. were in a tactical nightmare of a situation. Between the front gate and that front door was zero cover, not even concealment. And you notice how they stopped in the video. They, they stopped, they kind of took a uh, picture of yeah. their surroundings. They kind of kept, you know, they, they had actually, before the video even began, the second officer <coughs> that came up and was talking to the first officer um, had already walked around the block to check out, you know, the exits and the rear and stuff like that. And he, because you hear him saying it goes all the way around the block, meaning the, the, the fence that was around, it was a concrete, a half height concrete with wrought iron fence that goes around this property, typical that you see in places like LA. Um, where you have like these gated entire lots. Well, most of those families are Hispanic, and <laughs> yeah. they really like those those gated. Um, yeah, well, if you've been to uh, like countries like Brazil or even Costa Rica, they right. they're all like that. Well, they're concrete. Uh, it's, their their it's entire a security thing. yeah, their entire yard, their entire lot is a concrete wall, and you typically have you know gates and wrought iron bars to get Built in and out it. of your of your property. Um, and you know, it's just, a, uh, you know, a lot of these, uh, countries where security is not as, you know, not as guaranteed as it is here in America. And, uh, so it, culturally, yeah, that's kind of a, a normal thing. And it, it's not even just like in some cases, um, it's not as much about the security as it is the aesthetic. It looks like, you know, uh, a home that they're used to seeing, um, and so you'll, you'll get that. You'll see that a lot. So he had, he had already looked around, scoped it out. Um, and so they were aware that once they go into that front yard, um, they had a big, they had a big open expanse. Sure. <clears throat> they had a big open expanse between the front yard and the, and the, and the, their retreat to the gate. This is why they, uh, without much, uh, without much hesitation, retreated around the corner of the house. And also, if you watch the video, um, look it up on Active Self Protection. I don't know what the title is exactly, but it is, uh, uh, it is, you know, uh, something. Uh, it was something fairly recently. It happened within the last couple of days, and by the time this releases, you'll see it. You know, will have been in the last week or so. Uh, it's I think it's LAPD something or another. So the it, when they backed up from the door, they could have taken cover because the door, the front porch, was recessed in a little bit, and they could have had cover from that corner. But if you notice, there's a window at head height that they did not want to be exposed to, so they went completely around the corner, <clears throat> and it gave them a little bit more space between them and the suspect. Um, and when he opened that door, when the kid opened the door, they had every legal uh, right. And even there's there's this uh, active self-protection. Uh, the host, John Correa, will talk about, uh, you know, uh, can you shoot? Should you shoot? Um, uh, type of situation. So um, he legally could have and should have once that door was opened and there was a rifle raised at him. 
fired off shots. Should have dropped him. Now, whether or not he hesitated because it was all happening. Could have dropped him. Could have. have to. But the thing is. Could have and realistically should have, given the information that he had. Domestic violence call, guy opens the door, there's a rifle. Doesn't know what all is going on inside. Doesn't know, you know, doesn't know if someone's been shot, if there's been, you know, if there's, if there's people bleeding out inside and he needs to end the threat immediately so he can get them help type of a deal. So whether he hesitated because of either A, it's, you know, the atmosphere around police and he doesn't want to be involved in a shooting unless he absolutely has to, or B, he wants to give this guy, you know, a second thought, a pause to determine whether or not this is the actions he wants to take. They gave him a lot more than a second. Right. And so it may have been that. Now, it could have also been a tactical uh, move. When you open the door in the video, you can see that you can't really see behind him very well. So he may, they may have determined that the backstop wasn't very good. And there could be innocent people in there and doesn't want to just go shooting into a half-open door and potentially hit, you know, an innocent individual. Right. So that could have, there's, there's multiple reasons why he, he hesitated to shoot and retreated to cover. Either way, I commend him for it, and I think that whichever decision he chose, whichever path he chose to to get him there, I think that was probably the smart move. Now, legally, um, and even morally, he would have been in the clear to shoot him right there at the door. Chose to retreat. So, uh, another thing that I find interesting, and I don't remember them talking about it, but I remember it being in the video, during the entire interaction. So, they, they retreat around the corner. Yep. And then there's the Hispanic fella, uh, the dad, in the the alleyway. And they're telling him to go away, to get, get away. Partially because they didn't know who he was. Partially because they didn't want him in the situation. Yeah. Uh, but they wanted him to go away. Right. And then he's telling them that... Uh, I think he was saying in the alleyway, he was saying, that's my son. And um, yeah. he was trying to go to him to help, which I understand where the dad's at. Right. But now he's also not, he did not obey the commands. So right. then he goes through the house and <clears throat> he goes to the son. Yeah. And then but, he's like, you shot my son. Right, but this is all. This is this is all. This is all why things are a matter of perspective. The dad's operating with different amounts of information than the I police don't think officers. The dad had any clue as to why the officers were he, there. They didn't know about the call, but what the dad did know is that his son didn't have an AR-15 and knew that it was a toy. So, to the officers, they still don't know it's a toy. Right. And there's a guy writhing around on the ground, holding the pistol grip of this rifle, what they assume is a deadly weapon. The uh, father, on the other hand, knew that it was not. And so in his eyes, you know, the cops just shot my son. Um, he's bleeding out. He can't get help until he gets rid of the gun. So the guy goes over it. He actually kicks the gun right. away. And in the officer's, uh, you know, defense, what they were doing would have not only been department policy, but also smart. They were waiting for backup. Probably, uh, and realistically, the backup that was in route probably had a ballistic shield. Because that's usually what most departments will do in that situation. You have a suspect down, but not completely out of the fight, holding on to a gun in order to disarm them. What they do is they'll stack up behind a ballistic shield approach. Um, so that way, if the guy, you know, hops up real quick and fires off a shot, they have the maximum, you know, potential for protecting themselves. Also, mind you, what this gun appears to be is an AR-15. Those officers are wearing soft armor. They may have trauma plates. Mm-hmm. They might have a plate. More likely than not, they don't. Most patrol officers do not um, have hard plates in their vest, and a five-five-six round will cut straight through any soft armor. So five-five-six will will a two-two-three. Yeah, yeah, same thing. They're, oh, okay. Five-five-six and two-two-three have very similar ballistics, and it's really like splitting hairs. I don't. I, the, the there's a reason why most guns now are showing on their barrels instead of chambered in five five six or two two three. They'll call it two two three wild w y l d e, and that's a new um, form of two two three. But really, what it is is it's a five five six, and that's just so that because consumers get confused by it. Um, it's the same as I for believe, instance. I believe that I've been informed of all this information uh, a while back, mm-hmm. but. Uh, 
it's, it's the same as a long time. 308 Winchester and 762 NATO are the exact same round. <clears throat> now, 223 and 556 is not quite the same. They're, they're a little bit different, but uh, they, they'll fire through the same gun. People get confused by 762 NATO. It's 308 Winchester. It's just uh, you know 308 caliber or seven you know point six two millimeters and uh, you know in the NATO designation because you know, it, with everything NATO it's all metric anyhow so you know in this situation that's probably what would happen they would have been waiting on a ballistic shield to come out but it's all about perspective the officers were operating with the information that they were arriving to a domestic violence call um, open the door and there's a, a guy with a rifle. Um, and his chaotic scene. Now they've got innocent civilians getting involved in, and they're worried about his safety, even though he's, clean, you know, he's saying it's my son, it's my son. And, you know, he doesn't know and they're saying back off, you know, it's, you know, it's dangerous or whatever. The, the dad probably did, you know, the best thing that he could have done oh, is kick did. that gun he away. Um, and that, and that, for, unfortunately, Just the only thing, the only point that I was bringing up, uh, is it made, the officer's uh, situation awkward. Um, yeah, because now they're in an alleyway with unknowns behind them. <clears throat> you know, a guy with a gun out in front of them. They're kind of boxed in there. Then he goes out there. front and yeah. completely 100% disobeys the commands, but good thing he did in this case. Yeah. Uh, normally, you don't want to disobey the commands well, of the officer. unfortunately, in the end, it was, you know, to no avail because, you know, the, the kid had died anyways right you know now had he had he maybe had he gotten there earlier got the gun away from him earlier maybe he could have been saved but you know i think he was struck multiple times and um, by, by people that do probably train just a little bit right um so it's it's one of those things and lapd um you know of all of all of the police forces they do have a typically have a higher standard of training um in fact uh, some some of those large police forces like LAPD, you know, they recruit from a, across the country. Like they hire cops that are they from don't. yeah, you know, they'll like people people apply to go to LAPD from like Chicago PD or like the, and, the, and it's a stringent hiring requirement. Same with NYPD. Um, in fact, the vast majority of the police force in like NYPD and LAPD or transplants from somewhere else because they've been hired from outside because they're not just, they, they, they do hire from, you know, uh, locally and have a local academy, but they, they tend to hire already veteran officers to come into the, cause it's such a LA County so huge and Los mm-hmm. Angeles is so big and it's, you know, you know, high traffic, high chaos. There's always something going on there. Same with the NYPD. So, which, which as a, as a side note, when people talk about how do we, you know, better the police force in the whole defund the police nonsense, um, the, the best way to do that is to make it more like an elite force and treat it as like a, an, uh, a high honor to be accepted into this position and with good pay and benefits and treat it more like a military special forces operation of, of sorts. Because the reality is, is it kind of is, uh, it has a lot of parallels to, spe- to special force operators. Most uh, people going about their day-to-day jobs aren't at constant risk of potentially being shot at, you know. So to be able to, from a mentality standpoint, be able to work through that every single day Every time you pull someone over because they didn't use their turn signal and, you know, you don't know if they're, you know, uh, a drug dealer with warrants out for his arrest and isn't going to go to jail no matter what and pull a gun out on you type of a situation. It really play, it really, you know, messes with the, the, the mentality of the individual uh, who has to serve this position. <clears throat> and the people that tend to, um, if you look at it from the military, uh, from the uh, military side of things, um, and interesting studies have been done that the the military forces that suffer the least from PTSD are get this special forces operators, Navy SEALs, Green Berets. Those guys suffer the least from PTSD. The people that suffer the most from PTSD are typically um, in motor transport. Um, and uh, I can't remember which psych, um, which psychiatrist or psychologist ran this study, 
Um, but he was saying that his findings are the, the, his, his hypothesis is the reason why special forces operators tend to not suffer from PTSD, even though they're the ones in the thick of it the most, is because there's a difference between prey and predator mindset. So if you're in infantry and you're just out on patrols, you're more frequently, um, you're going, you know, or your motor transport, you know, you drive a Humvee in Afghanistan, you're more likely to exp- experience action in the form of a surprise attack, an ambush, an sure. IED, sure. Um, versus special forces operators. They're given, you know, a mission and a goal and a target. So all they do every day is they go eliminate threats. Like they're not just waltzing around and then get ambushed. And, you know, some missions go sideways, but the reality is they're the ones doing the praying and not being preyed upon. So because of that, also, you have to be a special kind of crazy to join the Navy SEALs anyways, you know. <clears throat> so well, you know what you're getting into before you uh, right. start down that so, path. So I say that to say this, you with, you know? with police officers, the thing is, is, you know, a lot of training and a lot of uh, departments, um, they, they, draw, they draw a lot of parallels to the military, but they tend to treat police officers and police forces more like general infantry or something like that. And the reality is that should be a more stringent hiring and training requirements. Um, and they should be there. They more fill a role similar to special forces operators. So, um, uh, so they should, and that's how you fix it. That's how you fix a police force is that you, you can weed out a lot of the, 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 the bad guys, the, the bad apples by making it a difficult to attain position. You know, make it like the Navy SEALs, you know, make it an honor like the Navy SEALs where it's a tough position. And you're and, and, and so the problem is, is that not a lot of people want to join the police force, especially with current um, the, the current atmosphere around it. Sure. But so how do you so how do you weed people? How, how are you turning people away? How is it? You know, it's hard to turn people away when you don't have enough applicants. So how do you draw enough applicants in? make the pay and benefits better, you know, make it attractive, make it a position that you'd want to be in, uh, to be, to be uh, commiserate of the risk that you're, um, that you're, uh, you know, undertaking. And, <clears throat> and then instead of getting say, you know, 10 applicants a year, you get a hundred applicants a year. So say you want to hire 10 police officers for your police department. If you only have 10 applicants, boy, it's hard to, it's hard to weed anyone out if you only got 10 and you need to hire 10. Now, if you have 100, well, guess what? Um, you got 90. Yeah, you can you can nix 90 of them for any reason. You know, you don't like the way that they uh, part their hair, you know? It's like, so, I don't like the way this guy parts his hair. Get him out of here. I, I uh, read a book not too long ago. It was a Navy SEAL. Um, he goes from being a drug addict to being a Navy SEAL. Um, and that by by itself is unheard of. But he uh, he finishes basically being on the field, uh, constantly running these these uh, missions. Constantly. I would actually make the argument that drug addicts are particularly equipped to join the special forces. <clears throat> uh, I, I'll explain uh, in a second after you're done. So he he uh, he goes over overseas, runs all these missions, and then he's like. My body just, I can't do this anymore. So what does he do? He still wants to serve. So he comes back to the States and he becomes a police officer. And one of the first days that he, he's basically still a rookie cop, though he's got a lot more knowledge than the vast amount of the the police on the force that he decided to sign up mm-hmm. with. He uh, goes and he goes, I didn't have a penny to my name really. Um, yeah. And he goes, I was just trying to make ends meet. So I decided to join this police force. And he goes, I go out on my first call. I'm, I'm riding along with another officer. And this kid, or the, the domestic call that we came out, came in on, I had to, uh, this kid takes a, just, he starts running. And because he had stole something and or I don't remember all the details, but anyways, he starts running. He ran 
and every time he turned around this seal was right behind yeah. him and if he ran through a yard and jumps the fence he goes i'd never been chased that long he goes <laughs> the kid that went after after the fact he goes I thought this guy kept, was going to give up at some point. He huh. wasn't giving up. Yeah. And I, at that point, I was like, you know, I need to just give up because this guy ain't going to give up. And and I don't have any more fuel in the tank. And uh, w- whenever he was sitting in the interrogation room, that's what the Navy SEAL, now police officer, asked him, what was your deal? And he goes, well, I st- stole such and such. I can't remember what it was. And he goes, I, I was just trying to... Uh, get away but every time i turn around you're right there <laughs> yeah <laughs> he goes I-, I was thinking at some point he's got to quit you, uh, he ran all the way across corner to corner across the football field <laughs> ran uh through a stadium oh like a uh, high school stadium uh-huh and he jumps a fence so does the navy seal just everything that he does so does the Navy SEAL. He's like, good freaking night, man. There, Stop. There is a uh, there's a famous comedian. I'm sure you've heard him. J.B. Smoove. You hear of this guy? Hmm. He was real famous back in the day. He's grown less famous and now does like uh, booking.com commercials or whatever. You'll see him. He does voices and stuff. He's got a pretty unique voice. You would you'd know him. He, he's, a, he's a black dude. Uh, got a face like Squidward. He's a real long nose. He's anyways, goofy guy. He did. He did a joke about you know cops uh, back in the day. In a paraphrase, he says, "You don't want to run from the cops because you don't want to get caught you, if if they've got you getting a foot chase." Now, a car chase is another story, but a foot chase you can really piss them off. And he's like, "You think you think a cop wants to chase you? I got all this stuff on my belt. I've got this. <laughs> I've got this baton. I've got this. Gun. I'm over here carrying fifty pounds on my waist, and I gotta chase your stupid butt." <laughs> You 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 bet your you 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 bet your bottom dollar that if he catches you, you know he's not going to be happy. <laughs> uh, so you never run from a cop. You never get in a foot chase with the police because if they catch you, they're going to beat you. <laughs> there has some really awesome videos of so, police officers taking out or right. tackling so, somebody. It's so, awesome. So that instance, that 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 scenario is a reason why police officers should have a very high standard for training. Now, this guy was a Navy SEAL. Now, in the military, in the Marine Corps, uh, while I was in the Marine Corps, whenever I trained uh, for combat training, it's if I could have done all of the stuff that I that I had to do through combat training without my gear on, it would have been relatively easy. <clears throat> but instead, all of the, uh, you know, all of the hiking and all of the combat exercises that we did, it was all done in full gear. You know, we had we had our, our, our Kevlar on, our helmets on, we're carrying packs, carrying rifles. Um, and so we've got, you know, on average, roughly around 80 pounds of gear on us while we're doing all of these strenuous physical, you know, exercise. And the reason for that is so that way, you know, we are effective whilst in our gear. Um, I put my headphones on like I was going to have a conversation. <laughs> so, so a Navy SEAL would be accustomed to this, you know. In fact, in fact, the uh, the typical gear that he's carrying as a police officer is no heavier than uh, what he would otherwise be carrying as a, as a Navy SEAL. He would normally be carrying heavier body armor, uh, heavier weapon because he's got a, a service rifle. Versus just carrying a pistol, um, he would probably have a pack on his back, depending upon you know the situation. So to him, he's light as a feather. The reality is, is most police officers don't get that opportunity. In fact, a lot of them will train. You know, even if they are in pretty good, you know, uh, pretty good health uh, when it comes to cardio health, they might run in like shorts or whatever. You know, and they're not really training whilst wearing all of their gear type of a deal. This is why I think that police forces should be training like the special forces. Um, and, it, and in fact, not just training like the special forces, training more often. Uh, just like, the, you know, not just the, 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 the training that they do, that the special forces do, they should also be training as often as they do. So um, it's a unique position and a unique job. So you have to, 
um, you have to you have to train as such. And, and realistically, I think that minimum police officers every single year should undergo a total of three months of training. That's a quarter of the year of training. Minimum. Realistically, if uh, money grew on trees and we had the we had a strong enough you know police force in all of the, the departments, I would say six months out of the year they should be training. Um, and when you think about it, like infantry and special forces, that's all they do in their off time is train. <clears throat> all they do when they're not doing their jobs, they're training. They're not uh, uh, they're not just you know sitting around playing Scrabble. They're training all day when they're not on deployment. You know, when they're, when they're at home for a year, six months or whatever, you know, depending upon their deployment schedule, all they're doing is training. They're training, 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 training. And then when they get deployed, um, they are going on missions. And in between missions, guess what they're doing? Training. Training. It's all they're doing is training. And not to say that, you know, police officers have to undergo on a daily basis everything that special forces operators have to do, but frequently enough they have to be exposed to scenarios that special forces do that they realistically should be training all the time and guess what laws change technology they changes don't tra- they, uh, according to all the books that i've read so far um the good ones train to the to that degree the ones that kind of in a sense uh they they don't make a name for themselves mm-hmm. um they just kind of ride uh, on their laurels in department according minimums. to according to some of the um, the ones that such as uh, David Goggins uh, the ones that train all the time the reason they're so good is they train all the time mm-hmm. uh, and the other ones are similarly good but not as fresh as the ones right. that train all the time well and that's the you know if you go by department minimums you could be completely out of training you could be completely out of shape not nearly as accurate with your weapon as you ought to be you could be out oh, of there's, shape there, there's multiple officers that don't train and i know i mean the, i know there's cops. one that was on a, a video uh by that asp uh put it up put out where i mean this fat tub of lard and even the sheriff, he showed up, but he was in flip flops. Uh, he was in. It was off day for him, and, but he shows up in the situation because the fat tub of lard. He couldn't even. Uh, so he's trying to reach his taser, which it's always on your off hand, right? Yeah. So he or yeah, it was it was off. Depend upon so department, but generally but it's a off hand draw. Massive tummy that he's trying uh-huh. to reach around. And so he's got to get right. a hold of it. Right. And this guy's coming at him and he is he's not happy. So and on drugs, um they they put the taser in him two or three times, if I remember right. And it, it wasn't effective. And then the sheriff also gets hit with the taser because he's in the fight with oh, this I've guy. Seen, this is an ASP video, I think, or, is, or yeah. Donut Operator Breakdown, one of the two. I think I watched both options. It might be both. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> it was it was funny in some aspects because the way and it panned out where no one got like seriously hurt. True, boy, <laughs> it was a fight. Yeah, and as I, I do security for our church, I watch these videos because I think, man. What if? Yeah. What if it comes to something stupid like that? And recently, there at our church, we have had more homeless and more uh, people that are not just homeless, they're druggies, um, that are coming to the church. This past week, we had two homeless people. They parked their grocery cart out front and... uh, some put armed it with their their remote. Some of the most <laughs> dangerous confrontations. Some of the most dangerous confrontations. I didn't know shopping carts had key fobs. Um, some of the most dangerous confrontations start out as non-lethal because you know you as a police officer or security guard has the upper hand whenever it comes to you know the uh, force multiplier. Right, you've got a gun. Okay, so you have the upper hand in that force multiplier situation, but you don't have, you know, you can't just go shooting anybody who crosses you, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they can start out, they, when they start out as non-lethal force confrontations, they become, they can become awfully dangerous because now 
you have to try and de-escalate, use your words. Um, and then if it can't get to that, you've got to get physical. And now you've got to get physical, but on your person is a, is a deadly weapon. You right. Know, and that, that, it, that you, don't, you don't have sole access to. People forget that. You're not the only one who has access to that gun now that you've gone hands-on with a uh, suspect. Right. Um, and so now it becomes even more dangerous. And hand-to-hand combat can get deadly. So that's something that... <clears throat> even excluding a firearm. Last, uh, I'd say, th- three or four nights. So Shannon, uh, one of my guys, is former MMA. Uh, so I'm actually kind of possibly considering learning some of that stuff yeah because i am when it comes to our church i'm usually the first line you keep saying he's former mma did he fight in professional fights or semi-professional okay or semi-professional i'm sure yeah so yeah Um, but but he he got paid to fight in mma rounds right so i mean people kind of say that like it's a you know a thing like oh "Oh, mma i mean i'm former mma as well i trained in mixed martial arts that's Um, what the marine corps martial arts program is it's a mixed martial arts the the last few nights i've worked out um i have a gray belt by the way I don't have any belts except for this one that I'm wearing. Yeah. Um, I'm not but, wearing a belt right now, but there, there's a gray belt out there with my name on it. Literally, it's labeled on the back. That's cool. Yeah, it says Hernandez M. Um, well, way, I, I mean, know it's mine. There's a m- multitude of people that I'm sure they have yeah, the same gray, ba- gray belt. Same gray belt. Gray belt is the second belt has, in the Marine Corps Martial Arts program. Has Hernandez so written on it. All, all it means is that I... I I trained beyond boot camp is all. Boot camp, everyone gets a tan does, belt. Does yours have M. Hernandez or Hernandez? No, on the comma, back. Matt. It's just, it's just and Hernandez. Your, your number? A7298. Last four is social. There's, there's standards, uh, military uniform standards that require you to label like every piece of your, uh, most pieces of your uniform. Do you have and, your underwear labeled? Um, you know, I think I did in boot camp because we washed our, we washed our clothes in laundry bags, but sometimes they'd get, uh, mixed up. So you'd need... Wait, what? You'd put your clothes into a laundry rag and throw it in the washer? Yeah, which is, does not get your clothes as clean and or dry as you'd like them to be. That does not sound at all like a good idea. Right, but you have to wash clothes for 86 people in one platoon. So how do you do that and then 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 not spend a week divvying out people's undies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't right, wait, right, whose skivvies else. are these, you know? <laughs> don't want to wear somebody else's chest. Right, so, so you get these mesh bags that you put all your laundry in, and that mesh bag has your, your name on it. Um, oh boy, we're we've run out of time. Okay, well, um, in that case, um, till the next time, That's folks. All, folks. Yeah, that that'll be all. We'll talk at y'all later. No ad today, but. <laughs>